Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupiton. I'm traveling across the damp, shining green jewel of the United Kingdom this month, so I bring you the first of two special English artist episodes. And this week on the show, I present a talented singer-songwriter who grew up in the same lyrically fertile plain as Shakespeare, who has made albums filled with twisty tales of sharp-tongued, black-hearted people searching for redemption, navigating the rough rivers of a kind of supernatural sorrow that refuses to let us go as we grow older, Lucy Rose. A few months ago, I was able to meet up with Lucy, uh, not in her home territory where I am now, but back in the sunny, concrete jungle of L.A., where we talked about her newest record, No Words Left. This record slayed me. It's like a crushed flower that you have to unpeel piece by piece before it turns to dust in front of you. Lucy has gone back to her roots a bit, forsaking the glossy Brit-pop direction that some of the powers that be wanted to push her in, and peeling back her sound so that what we hear is just that thorny, pure fruit inside. The result is intense. It's interlocking singing conversations in the tone of a toothy, hushed scream to the point where we wonder, is she going to be all right at the end of these songs? She questions the relationships she has with her family, with her friends, with her lovers, maybe even with God, trying as she hurdles towards her 30th birthday to find who we really are behind the suffocating velvet gauze of our multiple social media personalities. Look, the way that this show works, I'm a traveling musician, and so is everyone else on this show, so we try to meet somewhere in the world where we can tell our story to each other. Normally, I love giving you an episode hot off the presses, but I'm glad I waited on this one, because I feel like being in the UK for the last week, sinking into that ancient gray air, I can kind of feel where Lucy's songs are coming from a little bit more. I was able to wander a 15th century library here in Manchester today, and I could see in those crusty animal skin bound books that were connected by chains to the back wall, they were that precious. There's something important about words here, about the inner voice that is allowed to come out when you create something out of nothing. It lights up those dark, heavy nights. And for Lucy Rose, it's about finally saying what she's been holding back all along. The opening words of that record 
conversation don't come easy, but I've got a lot to say. Lucy joked during our conversation that like many British people, she normally would be appalled to open up completely about her emotions and what it really feels like to be a wandering soul who quote unquote has settled down suddenly into a happy marriage. But what impressed me most about her record No Words Left is that I was totally fooled. I assumed like some of her family and her concerned fans that she was going through a deep sorrow caused by lost love or, or trauma or broken promises from a lover who will never come back. But like the best creators among us, this supernatural sadness and searching that she's talking about, it's the one in all of us. Her pleasant husband, he wasn't in the arms of another woman across the world somewhere. He was parking the van cheerfully across the street as we recorded. And in fact, that sadness and that fear wasn't from a lack of love, but actually from finally discovering it. What happens when you actually get what you want, what you need? Maybe that's the scariest thing of all. And I don't want to portray Lucy Rose as a dour British songstress who has no humor and only talks about her feelings. In fact, we had a good laugh throughout the conversation about their recovery after traveling through Mexico, which knocked her and her band on their asses a bit, uh, creating quite the fun dance around the unholy parts of traveling. Like what happens when you get sick and can barely move and you have to go to the bathroom at all times and still need to play shows. The shows always must go on, folks. So I bring you this episode uh, with the smell of gunpowder in the air. Uh, in Manchester, they are celebrating Guy Fawkes Night, which, in an interesting contradiction, celebrates that the House of Lords and King James I were not blown to smithereens on that night in 1605, and they celebrate it by nearly blowing the parking lot by our hotel to smithereens. I don't fully understand it, but it's an island filled with contradictions. If there's one person who maybe knew it best, it's the man who grew up near where Lucy grew up, William Shakespeare. He described England as this royal throne of kings, this sceptered isle, the earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden, demi-paradise, this fortress built by nature for herself. So, as the show on the road uh, twists around the lanes and byways of England throughout this month, uh, we will have another artist from the UK uh, next week. His name is Sam Lee, and I was able to record him in London. So, plenty of fun things to come. On a shameless personal note real quick, my group Dust Bowl Revival has finally released the first single of our new record. The album is going to be called Is It You, Is It Me? It's coming January 31st, 2020, and the first single is called Enemy. Guys, this is some of the funkiest, most personal, intense music we've ever created. Please go on wherever you buy music. Give it a shot. You're going to love it. But enough rambling from me. I give you now the lovely, talented Lucy Rose. Conversation
Where are you in from? I'm here from Mexico. I came from, I'm not from Mexico, I'm from London. Well, I'm actually not from London, I'm from Brighton now. I moved a month ago, the UK. But you grew up in Warwickshire? Warwickshire, yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah, the, the home of Shakespeare. That's where I grew up. Are you forced to read Shakespeare in England too, like we are? Yeah. I say that in a good yeah, way. Yeah, we are. I did Romeo and Juliet at school, so. But I enjoyed that one. And we got to watch the Baz Luhrmann film in school, so that felt great. It was, that was pretty racy for, you know, yeah. when it came out. It's great. I still love it. Did you get to play Juliet? No, I'm a really terrible actress or actor. So, it's, yeah, I would be, no, I'm very bad. So you grew up kind of in the countryside, right? Yeah. What was that like? Good. I mean, it's it's funny. I feel like I'm just reaching an age where I can truly appreciate um, the pure, I guess, or, or, or the pure quantity of nothing I did when I was growing up and how great that is, really. Well, boredom is very good for the imagination, I've been told. No, exactly. I think I've always thought, oh, yeah, my childhood was really uh, boring and I spent a lot of time on my own. I ended up fishing a lot, doing a lot of fishing on my own and... Mm. Um, sitting in trees on my own thinking that it was life was really unfair because all my friends were living in towns and stuff um, and actually I've just read this book about Taoism which is saying the, the way to live the happiest life is to do nothing on the road to nowhere hmm. um, so I actually think my childhood was pretty good tell us what you're drinking right now oh, oh god it's really <laughs> bleak it's really bleak I'm look, Pediatric electrolyte, oral electrolyte solution with zinc. I know. I've bought so many of them. I now have a CVS membership card just to get my discount. Where did you guys play in Mexico and what happened to you? Mm. Um, we played in a small sort of theatre in Mexico. We had an amazing time. It's great. I went to a wedding. Uh, one of my fans that I've now known for years, who, when I first met him, he flew over to Wales to come to a gig and I couldn't mm. believe it and we've just become friends over the years of mm. hanging out and I went to his wedding mm. in Mexico it was great anyway you want me to get to the good part which is yeah we all have terrible stomachs now which is just <laughs> it's just so classic but it's I've been to, I was like I think I got cocky because I was like it's my fourth time to Mexico never got ill before yeah just like Drinking the water, yeah, you know, sucking the ice cubes, loving life, eating it's, all the tacos. It's not for the faint of heart, man. Yeah, the last last three days have been really interesting. Like really, really interesting. <laughs> Some special tablets just for the podcast. It's just like we've we've actually we went to the CVS as soon as we landed because we knew we were in trouble the day before we even left. Yeah. And and she was very much like, let it out, let it flush it out, so, you know? So we weren't taking any tablets, but now we're actually having to leave our Airbnb. Yeah. I'm tableted up. But you look and sound great. Thank you. I mean, we've had a lot of downtime. We really haven't been able to... We landed, I think, yesterday, and we've just sat in our Airbnb on... It seems like someone called Carlos's Netflix, who I don't mm -hmm. know who Carlos is, but whoever owns the Airbnb, watching Jailbirds. Which is great. <laughs> so I've been very relaxed. Choice. Yeah, it was it was actually a Carlos recommendation for yeah. him, and I just thought, oh, let's just get to know Carlos a bit. I watch Jailbirds, and one of those programs that I'm in now, really. What is your guilty pleasure when you're on the road? Oh, that's really tough. Guilty pleasure on the road. Mm, I think I'm quite. I think I'm quite sensible on mm. the road generally because I think it's already grueling enough without. I guess making it harder. I'm thinking guilty pleasures like alcohol, really. Mm. Um, guilty pleasure. Do you try to regulate on a tour how many days a week that you drink? Because I know that some of the people in my band have started doing that. We're like only Fridays and Saturdays. 
Whereas I'm more like every day, but not much. I think it's really difficult because I, a part of me thinks, oh, it's not very important. And you should just be able to have a beer. You know, yeah. even people at home, everyone has like a beer every night. It's yeah. what I tell myself because I do enjoy having a drink before a show. But then I I can sometimes think, I can I go on stage without a drink? Yeah. You know, that conversation. And then it's like, yeah, of course I can. I just don't feel like it, but I don't want to. Yeah. And then, And then, so I do think it's important to make sure that you're aware of your alcohol consumption doing this because it's um, notoriously can be a tricky thing. Do you recall a show where you definitely had too much either alcohol or drugs? No drugs. I'm very boring. Um, Alcohol, yes, yes. Recently, my husband is my tour manager um, and we did a lot of touring um, as just a trio. So it was me and Ben and Andrew and then my husband who really is the, the sensible one who gets us on the planes and does all those sort of things. And then he had some touring with his sister, which overlapped. So we were like, oh, we'll do the last bit of the European tour on our own. It was Madrid, Barcelona and Valencia. Mm. And um, we've been on tour for like a year. It's the last show of the last album campaign. And in Valencia, we definitely drank too much. Um, definitely. Definitely. Like, we ended up doing a few shots on stage, which I think is really lame and embarrassing. It <laughs> makes me so... I'm cringing so hard thinking back to it. Um, but like, yeah, last last thing, whatever. And then suddenly, like, oh my God, where am I? What are my lyrics? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that, I think I stopped being able to smoke any weed before a show because <laughs> yeah. uh, I could play musically fine and then one verse would disappear yeah. from each song. And be like, oh. They would just it would just fly out of your head. You could see it like leaving, you know. And you're like, I can't, I can't no, remember it's gone. it at all. It's and gone. it won't come back yeah. as well. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's gone now. And until I go look it up. So the newest record, uh, No Words Left, mm. um, which is just gorgeous, you know. You. And I know, um, you know, some people have been saying, well, you've you've stripped back the sound or whatever. Yeah. And you've, but you know what? Like listening to you know your records throughout the years, I think there's always been a through line of this sort of introspective getting to the dark heart of reality yeah. and not being afraid to question sort of your own sorrow, your own pain. And, um, you know, it's not like I should be worried about you, but it's like, do it, do people like come up to you and be like, mm. are, are you okay, Lucy? Definitely. Is that a thing that happens? Uh, yes. On this record, definitely. When I first put it out, um, there was definitely a few people who were sort of like, are you, are you all right? I just want to check if you're yeah. okay. And, and I guess a few comments on, and, and fans being like, I love the record, but I am worried and, yeah. and stuff. And sometimes the odd musician that I haven't seen for a while, um, and we end up doing gigs at like a festival or something right. together. Recently there was there's one radio thing I did and it was just a, a friend that I hadn't seen for ages and he was like, I love the record, but just on a personal level from actually caring about you, I found it difficult. Mm. And the thing there, yeah, that's the first time that's really happened. And I don't really know what to think about it really. It's just, um, it's a very weird, weird thing really. And especially for someone who doesn't generally like talking too much about my emotions. Yeah. It's a really odd thing because it's really so open. And I think, why does everyone, why do I have this need to tell everyone everything about me in, in music? And I don't really know. But a lot of times, though, it's maybe not exactly you. It's a, it's a story. It's a 
sort of snapshot of a certain time in your life. It might not even be right now or, or a year ago or two years ago. Yeah. You know, sometimes it takes 10 years to really process a trauma, a breakup, a Definitely. death, you know. And a lot of times, you know, for me, you know, the songs that I love of your record feel like they could be talking about multiple traumas that don't involve you at all. Yeah. You know, like, especially, the, I mean, honestly, this opening track conversation, Yeah. you know, we're talking about no one lets me down like you do, and I sort of I've I crave you and I miss you, but I also know that you're hurting me. Yeah. It feels almost like someone talking to God or like a higher power in the universe that is letting them down over and over again, yeah. even though they need their approval and their love. Yeah. You know. That's quite amazing to hear. In in many ways I feel like it's about almost any meaningful relationship in your whole life. Right. Um it's really hard to know. Like, I think, yeah, when anything is as obsessive as being in love mm. with anything, it has huge uh, repercussions sometimes with pain and um, and everything. So, it, I mean, it's very interesting to hear you say that it could be about a higher, a higher thing or being. Um, but to be honest, it was mainly from my, I guess, fascination with being in a in a committed lifelong partnership with somebody you know I'm married so how long have you and your husband been together um we've been together I think about eight years and, and married five years mm-hmm. um so I got married when I was 25 mm-hmm. I'm turning 30 next month and um I find it fascinating I think um with him obviously uh, um, I think I am obviously like desperately intense when it comes to feeling and understanding every single part of everything really mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, I think when you know, like, I feel like I know when you know something is as strong and as meaningful as, uh, what I think we have, then I'm not really scared about accepting Mm -hmm. the, the flaws among something that I think everybody has and no one talks about. And Mm. in a way I just thought it was the antidote of, of seeing loads of couples on beach holidays having the best time on the internet Mm. because, that just isn't, I don't believe, a reality um, yeah. every day. But yeah. no one talks about anything. So I thought it was important. Yeah, I mean, again, if they didn't know you, they would think listening to this record almost like that you're gone going through a horrifying breakup. Almost, Honestly, right? there was someone at Merch who was like, I was so worried that you got a divorce. Like when <laughs> I like heard this record, I thought you, were get, you had a divorce. And it was just like, for me, the craziest thing because... Uh, I've just, you know, I've never felt like more obviously in love and stable in my life. And the same with Will, like it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, we're almost unaware of because in in, in a weird way, because even when his parents come around, I finished the record. He was like, guys, you got to hear some of Lucy's new record. It's amazing. And I was like, oh, what should I play? And he was like, play conversation. Yeah. And I just looked at him and wanted to say, you want me to play conversation to your well, parents? Well, parents always think things are happening in real time. Yeah, like, exactly. So I was like, are you sure we should play this one yeah. to, to them? He was like, yeah, it's my favorite one. You've got to play conversation. And that was just quite amazing because I think the scariest part of writing such personal stuff is that a lot of the time people around you get brought into your art and your music who don't want to be, who haven't asked to be, and... Um, I think that's the thing I've struggled the most with. Um, and having someone who understands that well and loves it is, is a, like the biggest blessing. 
I mean, in a way, sometimes having this loving, stable relationship is the only way you can give yourself permission to dive into the darkness. Yeah, right. If it was you know? unstable and then I wrote yeah. that song, it would just like be... Uh, and, and anything, it's just, you know, I, yeah, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, it was, I, think. The, I mean, the chorus of Treat Me Like a Woman, yeah. right? I'm afraid, scared, terrified uh, that this is you know, how, how it's going to be my whole life, yeah. you know? Uh, I'm curious if you think that people are more anxious now than when we were kids or is it just that people are more open about their fears and and sort of um questioning their futures than before god should i tell you what i'm not i really i don't i don't know but i think for me on a personal level i have trained in in a negative way my brain to think too much about Mm. everything um well you're a writer Exactly, but it's it's like poison. Yeah, in a way, um, it's hard to enjoy life sometimes. Yeah, if you overanalyze absolutely everything, yeah, like I do, which is in a, in a sort of way of writing, you can like constantly writing and overanalyzing, then you I feel like you can't even enjoy the smallest things anymore. And instead of just going on a very small level, like that's that bird that's singing is beautiful. Mm-hmm. That sounds beautiful. Instead, it's like, I wonder what bird that is. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, it's almost like we're being, for me, or you, the fascination with being so intelligent in our thoughts mm-hmm. and knowing everything and understanding everything. It's actually making us not enjoy the simplest things mm. um, in life. And um, so it's, it's very difficult to know what it is. But something like treat me like a woman is, is I think, the opposite of that. I think it's something that needs to I needed to process, mm. um, needed to understand, because it's we're touching on, obviously, feminism mm. and, and how it is to be a woman in this world and how it is to feel things and, and also, also say, oh, I don't think I really have a, a reason to feel them and I should just shut them away and it's mm. fine and it's not a big deal, so mm. just leave it. And it's accumulated into something which actually changes the way you you look at yourself entirely and your confidence in mm. yourself because of the, your gender. Um, and I think I just, at one point, I hit breaking point uh, on tour in, in Munich and um, just isolated myself from my whole touring party, which were men at the time, and, uh, and wrote this song. And, uh, yeah... I, I, I am scared it's going to be like that forever, but which is why I wrote the, the song. What is the thing that you were most scared of, you think, that you touched on in that song? It's, I mean, the thing that, it, that we're talking about is really difficult. It's not like I've had any really traumatic things that have happened to me. Um, it's really small things every day which add up. And examples, sometimes with my husband being my tour manager... A lot of the time, people will talk to him about me when I'm sitting there. You know, do you think mm-hmm. Lucy will do this later? Yeah. And I'll be sit- I'll be standing right there. Yeah. And I sometimes will be like, why Why is that? Is it because... And it will be things that aren't totally unrelated to being a tour manager, but mm-hmm. it's just sort of like, oh, this is Lucy's husband. Do you think you could get her to do this? Or do you think she'll do this? And yeah. I, I wonder why they're not asking me. Yeah. Um, other things, I mean, every single time we check in on a flight... Uh, whoever it is, or we look at the boys in the in the touring party and ask them what music they play, right. and if it's and then it goes, oh no, it's Lucy. Yeah. Then sudden real shock, you know. Oh great, you're you're the musician, yeah. brilliant. So do you just sing and they play music with you? And it's yeah. no, I actually I play yeah. guitar and I I sing. 
and then it's a sort of like oh good for you and yeah. uh, sort of thing that happens like well done you or every time you right. know it's just really it's tiny 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 things going into a venue and having in-house crew not liking me ask for anything if I say can I get a DI here or a monitor put here it, men who, who don't like being told what to do by a woman who then in turn treat you badly yeah. um, whereas if Will my husband does it then there's no issues right. really he'll ask for things and they'll think he's really good at his job and I guess I started just going, okay, maybe you should always just talk to the, the crew and not me and because they just want me to just... Right. Didn't, and then I just think that's just bullshit, really. Yeah. Um, so that's it. So, you know, you got signed to a major label. Yeah, you know, did that whole thing, yeah. And, you know, and like I think a lot of non-pop star people, a lot of times there's... A breakdown in that system yeah. where it doesn't really serve a real artist it doesn't work you know and then you had to kind of get out of that yeah you know how did that situation work and do you feel like you're in a better place now um yeah I think it's really it's really quite complicated and complex when when it's talking about majors and this the story that's very told is is sort of like yeah they're evil and it doesn't work and right. etc there's the part of the story that isn't sometimes told is I, you know, I bought a house, <laughs> like yeah. things like that, you know, like yeah. they, they gave me money that I could quit my job. I could buy a house. I could concentrate on music. Um, and I guess so it's really, it's really difficult. Um, so it changed your life. You changed know? my and life. And this is for yeah. around exactly. like I used to the record yeah. in 2012. So it's like, yeah, it's like hard not to be wanted and to have that sort of peak of glory it's a, it was it's but a amazing downside. moment of what we're like all looking for in some ways sort of a reward at the end of the at the end of the road of what yeah. we're all going for and at that point I'd been doing open mics for like you know four or five years yeah um and you know accumulating like some fans and and things and doing gigs and then suddenly it was almost like oh this was my reward that I'd been working my ass off for, for five years mm -hmm. and it was exciting and it and it was you know, something that my parents could hold on to is like, you know, oh, wow, it's, it's, she's doing well now. This is yeah. this actual solid piece of information that yeah. the company believes in her and her music. And so in one sense, it was a huge confidence boost at the beginning, which is, wow, this is someone to be taken very seriously here yeah. and, someone, and all of those things. And then you go through that honeymoon period, which is we love you and everything's great and brilliant, yeah. um, like every relationship. And then we need more now from yeah. you. And the system is the system. You know, it is, it is a, a corporate profit-driven business. Right. I think if we could understand that part of it, it makes sense that if I want to be a smaller independent artist who doesn't want to take over the world, that that system isn't going to work for me. Right. Um, and I guess that was the journey I went on, um, learning that music wasn't about fame and money. And what I wanted to do was be authentic and sincere and have a message I believed in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that message was, is within the music and also not within the music, whether it's like not wanting to wear makeup or dress a certain way or, yeah. or be that sort of personality that sometimes is expected of you which is the charming likable mm -hmm. funny yeah. beautiful you know just smile and stand there and not say anything too offensive um right. thing um 
it was like a combination of all of those things that was like, okay, no, this isn't this isn't right for me. And actually, um, getting out of the situation was not hard at all. It was like I want to be this, and you want me to be this, and that was that really. The thing I found difficult was building my confidence back up afterwards. Mm. That's the only thing that was really tricky because for a period of time you're being told that everything you're doing is wrong mm. for this model, but you don't hear for this this model. You mm-hmm. just hear everything you are is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you see the other side of it, it's um, much better, I guess, which is where I'm at now. Tell me about this <laughs> tour you did in South America where you went on your own with a backpack. Yeah, uh, that was sort of in the, the breakup point where I was like, I don't know who I am or what I am as a musician and does anyone even like my music or care about it or um, those sort of things. And you have a lot of comments as well, which is you've changed, you know, I liked you at the beginning and now yeah. you've become this other thing that you're not and you go, have I changed? Who you're am I? Too hard. Yeah, like, oh, you've become mainstream or you sold out and all yeah. those things. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> so I guess that was me, like, as it was sort of the classic, you know, I'm going to go traveling. What am I going to do? I'm going to rediscover myself. I'm yeah. going to find out who I am yeah. with my backpack. Um, kind of corny thing. And it, it did actually work. Um for a big part of it, I really wanted to travel or play gigs in Latin America. I had, like, on Spotify, my biggest streams were in Brazil and Mexico and mm-hmm. had never been. And most of the, probably nearly all my tweets that I got were come to Brazil and those mm. sort of things. And I hadn't done it. And I tried to pursue it through the normal avenues of my booking agent. And has my label over there interested? And the answer was no, we're not interested in you going there. And well, It's too risky. It's too risky. Too we don't feel you've got fans there and the yeah. venues don't want to book you yeah. and all those things. So the answer was a straight up no. So then um, I guess my, I kind of had my moment of like, oh, I'm, fuck it, I'm just going to do it anyway. And put a post out on, on Facebook saying... If you let me live with you and you can find me somewhere to play, that has to be free entry. Yeah. Then I'll come to your town. And I did that for eight weeks around Latin America, living with fans and playing free gigs. And read. And I guess that was when I really discovered that um, I always felt like the sad songs that I wrote were for me and no one really wanted it. It could be the ones that people skip on the record. You know, let's go yeah. for like, the, the happier ones and we'll just skip over these like sad ones that she's writing. And... Um, and then I guess it kind of became like Lucy Rose karaoke at these places because I was there just for them. It wasn't yeah. really about me and my show and whatever. Yeah. It was like, I'll play what you want. Yeah. Um, and all of the songs they were asking for were the ones that emotionally were the ones that I cared about yeah. that I thought no one wanted. Your radio doesn't want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those sort of like things that you get told. Yeah. And they were the ones that people wanted. And I guess that gave me the confidence to get to this point with this the next record and then, then the one after which is this which is to delve deep and go deep within the music because someone does want that well I think a lot of times people don't give themselves permission to go deep into their own emotions and their own sort of heartbreaks you know and it's almost like the songwriter has to open that door for them you know um, was there any place in particular in South America that really blew your mind that you that other songwriters should go. I mean, I think go. all of the places were. You know, I really don't... Uh, firstly, I kind of hate nationalism yeah. <laughs> on yeah. every every level. So it feels like if I picked something, I'd be picking a country or, you know, or a person, and I would find that difficult because every place had something wildly unique and amazing to Sometimes it. it's a unique venue and a unique I mean, setting. Well, and, it's, I mean, they were all amazing. I guess I think that really... The, the blew my mind on like a sort of obvious level was that the sheer quantity of people that came to see me in Sao Paulo. Mm. Um, I played in a laundrette. So 
finding venues that would let me play for free was really hard for fans. A lawn, like a laundromat? Like, yeah. Like yeah, a, where, yeah. You, where you do your Where you go clothes. do your dirty clothes. Yeah. Um, in Sao Paulo, and I played on the first floor, and they took the glass panels out of yeah. the, sort of a clear thing, and I just stood on the edge of this laundromat, yeah. looking down onto the street, and the whole street closed down. I think about, like, 1,500 people came. Wow. Whole street, cars couldn't move, just me and my little acoustic guitar that I, you know, my... <laughs> Playing. Play, playing sad songs in the street. Playing that's incredibly just, sad songs. That's awesome. And man. people going crazy for them. Huh. Um, how do you think they found your music down there? Well, that became this big question for me, which is like, how do you know yeah. me? How have you found this? A lot of it was YouTube when YouTube's first starting and I was doing yeah. that sort of wave of acoustic music. So when that first started those sessions like mm. 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and now everyone everyone does them. And I think YouTube was part of it. And also Spotify um, with streaming. And I think people's just digging mm. you remember when you used to dig for music when yeah, you yeah. felt like the radio wasn't giving you what you wanted mm. and you kind of believed that there was music that fulfilled you just for you it was just like, for yeah, you was, and you used to yeah. spend hours on your computers just digging going clicking video to video to video until you found something and it became your new obsession and it was people's i think yeah yeah i guess drive to discover their own special thing is what's happened i think it's a good example of yeah like artists you know taking a chance on new territory that may actually love you more than the places you keep going over and over again you know well you have to ask yourself why are you going to those same places yeah what is everyone's obsession with breaking north america everyone knows this and and I, I mean, I, maybe I'm being really overly cynical here, but it's the biggest music market in the world and yeah. it's where you can make the most money if you right. break. Is that the reason? Yeah. Or is it because everyone just prefers North America? Like, or you prefer touring here? Like, is yeah. it, you know, it's like, it's a really complex question of why would you not invest your time and your mm. money and your efforts into other territories in the world? But even within the United States, you know, we've probably played, you know, Ohio and <laughs> Illinois, you know, places around where I'm from, the Midwest, 10 times. And we've played like Idaho and Montana like twice. And yeah, it was like magical up there. And we're like, why didn't we go up there? Because in our minds, it's like, well, we don't know anybody up there. And no one's really reaching out. But then you go up there and they're so exuberant that you're there with them, you know. Well, you're telling them they're important. Yeah, you know, in, in Alaska a way, too. It's you're like, saying, yeah, you're yeah. important to me and, you know, you're not forgotten about. And yeah. I think a lot of places can feel forgotten about and unimportant. But at the same time, the world's huge. And when we talk about North America, it's like talking about Europe and yeah. as a whole. And that's impossible. Yeah. So, and then who, where you've got time for. So I guess I'm at this like complicated crossroads is I don't want to be away from home yeah. forever. And where's important and where wants me and that's a really you know the million dollar question really and you're based where in london i was i've been in london 12 years and i just moved to the seaside myself um i moved to brighton me and my husband did two months ago Mm. um but we've just been away such a lot but i guess i I feel like it's going to be a really positive creative place for me i think i think me and my wife had a nice like seafood dinner in brighton yeah not fish and chips was it no Okay, it was good. like a chowder, and then like oh, it was a, posh. Yeah, you went posh. It was okay, like good. a nice little hotel right by the Lovely. beach. You know, you liked it. It was good. I mean, it was cold and rainy as as England can be. Yeah, it can do that. 
<laughs> it does do that. Um, yeah. Let's go back to your new record uh, and the <laughs> the pain and the questioning. Yeah, sorry. Song after song. Uh, such a cool vibe in that tune. That, um, But it kind of reminds me of sort of something I feel like I'm constantly going through, which is the imposter syndrome type yeah. thing, you know. Um, and there's this story that you're telling about, it's like, okay, I'm living out my dream, but there's this girl playing next door, you know, and I'm listening to the music through the wall. And am I sort of telling a lie about myself that I'll, ev- I'll ever be good enough and exactly. worth it? She's singing it song after song after song. How does one get over the imposter syndrome, or do we never get help over me. it? Help me. I don't know. <laughs> Can you help me? I'm asking you. <laughs> I honestly, I wish I knew the answer um, to all of these big questions. Do we ever feel like we, we are good enough, ever? Again, I guess I watched a Joni Mitchell interview um, recently, and they, they were asking her, I think I can't remember what it was. It was 10 years ago when they did the interview. And they said, like, you know, when you look back at everything you've done, all of the records, all of the people you've inspired, yeah. this incredible career that you've had, is there anything that you can look back on and, and say, I'm, no, I'm actually, I'm really proud of that. And it goes to her and I'm just waiting. Yeah. You know, like, go on. And she just says no. She says <laughs> no. And I think if Joni Mitchell has nothing to be proud of, yeah. I have no chance at all it was sort of this like I was so desperate for her to say yes which means that everything we're all working for which is say my my ultimate dream is to be as brilliant as Joni Mitchell and have write those sort of songs and have that sort of connection with people Mm -hmm. if that is the sort of goal at the end of the yellow brick road and she doesn't feel like she has anything to be proud of. It does make you question absolutely everything mm. that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a solidarity there, I think. I think that that agitation and that sort of never satisfied... Is it, it's the drive. ...road is, is why you create the next story. What a you know? miserable existence. If I, you know, in a way... Yeah. Like, is that just, is that just human nature? Because then they also ask her... They say, you know, have you got any contemporaries? Who do you think are your contemporaries? Right. You know, is it Lennon Cohen? Is it yeah. Bob Dylan? She's like, no, I can't think of anyone. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, I only yeah. said that. And she goes, I mean, Lennon and Bob, maybe lyrically, yes, yeah. but musically, yeah. no. Then they sort of, they um, say, who excites you then? Musically, who do you feel like is on the sort of level? As, as, yeah. You know, what makes you feel inspired? And she still says, I think Debussy mm-hmm. and, and Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. 
And so kind, but then she's also saying she's got nothing to be proud of. So she feels like she has no contemporaries who, and Debussy's the only person she really appreciates, but she, she's got nothing to be proud of. A lot and of is times, that just human nature? Then? A lot of times people assume that, you know, soft lady singer songwriter music is, you know, that person is only listening to people like her who's inspiring her, right? Yeah. And that's almost like completely the opposite a lot of the time yeah. where, uh, you know, and I, I wasn't going to bring up Joni Mitchell, but it's I'm like... I'm obsessed with her, sorry. But like, no, but like I knew that I had to mention this sort of Joni Mitchell with Mingus, you know, Charles Mingus collaboration and that it reminded me of some of the more orchestral... Um, cinematic sounds in your in your music and that combining completely different worlds and putting them together I think is is something that's super modern and super uh, beautiful that's happening right now you know and I'm curious if if there's one artist or, or a record recently that you've been listening to that people would never expect you to be really into I think I probably listen to a lot of what you'd expect me to listen to the thing I really like is is rap music, though, as well, which I think is less you'd you'd think less like who Kendrick. I listen. I really like Logic as well because mm-hmm. uh, I was highly obsessed with him, which is how I ended up singing on his last few records. Did you reach out? I went. No, I just went to a gig in London mm. on his first when his first record had just come out under pressure. I was obsessed with it. I listened to it a lot. Mm. Um, Mainly lyrically, I just felt like it was so open and honest and heartbreaking in many ways, um, which I found like I connected to, even though the genres right. are totally different. The yeah, kind of not? like openness of um, the pain, I guess, that he'd suffered was there. So I yeah, went to his gig and then he found out I was there and we, we became friends ever since, really. And then he sent me a song for his second record saying, I'm asking you and Erica Badu to try and write a chorus for this and I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) you never know where it's gonna take you in this crazy journey I know it's very much so I think I listen to a lot of different music but I also I I think I'm like I said equally inspired from people from musicians music and also their character I think is what inspires me Mm -hmm. a lot their character in life um what did you grow up listening to I mean, I just, I honestly listen to just a lot of the radio. Mm-hmm. My parents, we, you know, my mum liked Barry White. Mm-hmm. And my dad really liked you too. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, what well, the only music that was in our house was just whatever the radio was, was telling us to listen to. Mm-hmm. And it was only when I was much older that I started delving into the sort of catalogue of, of old music that's out there and stuff that interested me. And I sort of had to teach my brain to enjoy it to be honest, to start with. Neil Young is one of my favourite artists ever, but I think the first few times I listened to him, I hated it. Um, That's sometimes that violent reaction is the thing that you actually love most. I do wonder. I feel like my new record was like that. My mum called me um, and was like, I've been listening to your new record a lot. Yeah. When I first heard it, it's not I didn't like it. I liked it. (laughs) But now I've listened to it a lot, like a lot. Brutally honest mom talk. I love it. Like it's become one of my favourite things. So I've had to listen to it a lot and now it's become my favourite. And I was like, yeah, I know. It does seem to, it does do that. And then um, she sort of said, oh, how are you going to market that? And I was like... (laughs) I know, right? Thanks, and, Mom. And I sort of then it sort of made me laugh because I thought about all of the things that you don't like to start with, but yeah. then become like you know olives, yeah, or coffee, yeah, or alcohol, beer. When you first try it, you hate it, yeah. 
um, and then it becomes one of the greatest joys in life. What is your morning routine when you go home and you actually wake up in your bed? Um, I'm a horrible, I'm a horrible person because I love the mornings. I'm a real morning person, which I think could be annoying, you know, quite chirpy in the morning. You get up really early? I'm like up really early, up and out, straight away, like, great, day started, what are we going to do? And then it's just a a downhill, it's just downhill from that moment onwards (laughs) for the whole day and I'll go to bed just like, oh my God. Are you a night owl or you go to bed early? I'd go to bed early. It's very boring. I do feel very boring. I find I find. But what do you do in the morning when you get up so early? The nighttime. Do you write. Um, when do I write? I mean, that's a good question. I'm really quite um, privileged where I just allow myself to write when I want to write, really, mm-hmm. and when I when I can. Um, in the morning, I mean, I'm a big walker. That would be my first thing I would do. Like when probably one of my favorite holidays ever was in Topanga Canyon mm-hmm. last year. We came for two weeks. And it would just be like jet lag was serious, so up at five. And mm. I managed to every morning drag my husband out and <laughs> have a torch for the first part of the journey, like when we were walking up in, in the state park. Mm-hmm. Get up, see some coyotes in the morning, see the oh, deer. Oh, it's still dark. Oh, yeah, it still be dark for like the first half an hour mm. of the walk. Um, and then get right up to the top of like Eagle Rock and mm. watch the sun come up. That's for me mm. one of the greatest joys in mm. my life is is up and walking and hiking and being within nature. Mm. Um, in the morning, really, that's just my favorite part of the day. Are you and your husband on different schedules? He's less of a morning person, definitely. <laughs> yeah, which he doesn't really love the mornings, and he's more of an evening person. I generally don't like. TV at all mm. um, and I do find in the evenings TV's a big part of the evening it can be sitting down and watching TV and I just feel like it's a waste of time watching Jailbirds you know yeah on Carlos's Netflix I, yeah I do I have a huge remorse over that <laughs> <laughs> already um, so I guess a lot of reading I like doing but then I mean but then my husband really likes watching films and things like that what's so. the last book you read I, the last book I read was the the Tower of Pooh. Oh right, right. Which is the one. Uh, so yeah, about towers. And so, yeah, that was the last one. And I started another one last night. But I'm a really boring person. I think that's what we're just summarising, concluding from this chat. Is when it comes to the days, I'm really boring. I love the mornings. Yeah, but there's a lot of a lot of interesting swirling darkness underneath that. Sometimes only comes out when you write a song. I think honestly, songwriters have a natural wall between them front, yeah, and the world where it's like, I'm not gonna really tell you how I feel until I tell you through this song because that's the only way I can actually get in there. You know, I think telling something in, within music is a lot less sort of. I mean, aggressive is the wrong word. Then yeah. it's me going, pouring my heart. I like to talking to you about all yeah. my troubles. You know, that would, I think, would be too much. It would be too intense, really. It would be too much on you, I think, and it would be too much on the listener. And so I kind of avoid it at mm. all costs, really, and um, allow it to come out in music. Because I think within music it can be expressed in a way that doesn't seem so black and white in a... 
in a way like there's more joy in the misery mm. in a way than mm-hmm. in, than just talking about it because you can express yourself with noise so it's different who said I love you first you or your husband I think he did yeah <laughs> yeah there are no surprises there yeah. <laughs> yeah how long after did you do it no like about a second yeah, yeah. a second yeah. later and I was, I was like hoping it would happen you yeah. know so and that's the only time I've ever been in love really, in mm. my whole life mm. so and then you got married and you lived happily ever after I mean hey having a guy touch wood Jesus on the road with you and you guys aren't actually killing each other is impressive in itself but he also is the photographer on all of your yeah beautiful uh, art in this um, new yeah. record he's you know become I think a, a really astounding photographer and it's allowed it's allowed us to document the record in a way which is um very sort of open because I'm not really aware it's like if it was anybody else it's an intimate sort of it uh, is weirdly look behind the curtain you know and if it was anyone else it wouldn't be because Mm. like you said we've got our front and and everything that just is like an automatic response and um it allowed him I think to capture where I was at within the, the making of the record which I think will always be hugely important because I'll forget and the, and every you know I will forget the feelings in, of exactly how it was and this really is it will be telling the most honest story of it forever I think. Mm. Well, let's go back to that opening track uh, conversation, right? Where I think to many people it sounds like this tumultuous relationship that's maybe ending and then continuing and then never fully out of your system. And when I heard it, I heard someone talking to a indifferent god almost mm-hmm. do you ever pray and do you think that there is a, a an overall force that governs our life or is it all chaos no i don't pray um and i don't believe no in anything <laughs> <laughs> it's really depressing isn't it no, but there is a certain comfort in knowing that you don't believe eventually I think um, part of me thinks is there something you know out in the sort of atmosphere or something bigger but I I actually think that a lot of it um, a lot of stuff when it comes to believing or being guided in some way throughout life um, can be listening to somehow like like within nature and the earth and listening to the way the earth mm-hmm. naturally is. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in, in this book I read about, like, you know, the way we live is so different to the natural world mm-hmm. um, that it's we're out of sync and we've lost our way, really. Mm-hmm. And if you think about a river, often it doesn't go from A to B where it needs to be. It sort mm-hmm. of meanders through, through you know, like, like having banks and it meanders. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's really if you go the natural way through life, if you're allowed to be nature and it's called the way mm. to, to lead you, which is just allowing yourself to sort of flow like a river or like and listen. Um, and you're not so, you know, I need to get here and do this and mm. like this. And then um, maybe that's better. I think the, the thing I'm struggling with in life is 
is to find happiness mm. on a really simple level. Be happy. Um, What's the thing that brings you happiness each day? Is there like? I think I'm looking. I'm looking for a way to live mm. um, where that is at the forefront mm-hmm. of my existence and my purpose is to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really, really hard and mm. complicated mm-hmm. because. It's um, a lot of the time you kind of think, oh, if I get to this point, I'll be happy. And if I get to this point, I'll be happy. Mm. But if you don't enjoy the process of getting there, mm. then you've wasted your life, mm. really, being unhappy if you're not enjoying the process. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm learning that I need to enjoy the process mm. and not the, the rewards because mm. the, the actual moments of having a reward are actually very, very small percentages of your life mm-hmm. and the process is your whole life. Mm. Which is really difficult because um, it makes you make difficult decisions, I think. At the moment, I was hoping to tour around North America in the autumn. And it just has been booked up and everything. And um, I think I've decided I can't do it. Mm. And it's really, I've been thinking about it and discussing it because at the same time, what, you know, what will make me happy is if you know, I can go and play music to fans that I have here, if I have any here, mm-hmm. really. Um, and keep building on, you know, my career so that I can enable myself to keep being able to do this um, by making, I guess, making enough money to be able to do this and not have to get another job and all of those things. Um, But at the same time, I'm finding it hard being away so much. Mm -hmm. And I guess the, the novelty of it all is slightly wearing. Mm. Um... Because I've done it, me and Will have driven across America so many times now doing gigs mm. and playing in little venues to 20, 30 people and thinking, I'm really doing it and this is great and yeah. I'm loving it. Um, and now when I think about what makes me happy, sometimes it's just being at home, mm. really. I miss, I miss my family, Yeah, you know. I miss um, my bed, my life and... Something that I've never really um, had much time at home mm. within the last probably 12 years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm reaching 30 and I'm for the first time in my life thinking about my future mm. in, a, in a bigger bigger picture than mm-hmm. just like next year. Mm-hmm. Um, which is how can I do this forever? Mm-hmm. Really, can I do this forever? And the answer is oh yes to music and creating mm-hmm. and recording mm-hmm. and that. But can I spend um, half your life in foreign environments? Nine months of my life away, not actually knowing if it means anything, really. Mm. You know, and I know that sounds terrible because those people that come to the gigs are amazing. But, you know, I did a tour here last time and it was amazing. But, you know, there's like, say, there's 50 to 100 people at each show, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. But for, you have to like sum up the effort and the money yeah. and all of that yeah. with it. And that's really complicated and yeah. it's really hard and you know the story. Um, but that's the thing that, you know, the reason I'm having this podcast, right, after touring for about 10 years, it's like people aren't talking about the actual questions that a lot of folks are going through, especially as we're veering into our 30s, you know. I mean, you're a baby. God bless you. But, like, <laughs> what I'm saying is that, like, eventually in your mid-30s, you know, you start to wonder, you're like, have I been doing this for no reason? You know, if it's because you see people 
and it's both encouraging and discouraging. You see people that you know, all of a sudden, they're really out there. They're, I mean, they're playing thousand capacity theaters and they're doing it and they're making real money and they're buying houses and they're having kids and they can do both. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's not what I'm able to do though. I can't do both. Yeah. You know, but I'm not able to, you know, my music is not somehow reaching enough people for whatever reason, timing or, you know, whatever. You're like staying on people's couches like we did last time, which is yeah. amazing when you throw in like into the equation of ever considering having a family or yeah. thinking about those sort of things, it's, um, you know that that's impossible. Yeah. At this level, it's impossible. But then again, <laughs> it's not impossible. That's the thing. It's like, I've, because I've been in other worlds, you know, I write. How is it possible? How would it be possible for me to do like a North America, if, if say I had a child one day, God. Um, I'm not saying it's possible right now. <laughs> But no, but I, at yeah. my level, yeah. how I am is, is my level as a yeah. musician, yeah. which is like... Well, A, it's helpful that your husband is totally on board. But we're doing like 10 yeah. hours drives a day, which it is. Yeah. Everyone, no, it's not easy. It's 10 hours. You can't yeah. put a child in a car for 10 hours it's true. a day yeah. and then them not go to bed <laughs> yeah. and then them sit yeah. in a venue. Yeah. Well, you'd have to change. You'd probably have to change how things would work. And then yeah. would you fly every day with the child? It's just like... Yeah. It's it's a it is a tough question, but or does, or does, I see people doing it at my level. Yeah, at my level, not bigger than me. Like really, it's a good, it's a it's a good tough question because I think I think people have to manage their expectations and their travel schedule. You know, there's a there's a group called uh, Birds of Chicago that mm-hmm. I had on this show. Good friends. They have a young daughter. And eventually it's like the daughter came with them on certain things. And eventually the daughter, when she got old enough, was like, I'm staying with grandma. You know? And the daughter has her own life. And that's sad as parents sometimes. But also, like, she knows that mom and dad are out there making the dream happen. You know? And then they have to choose how much they're away, when to take her with them. And how to make that work. I cry when I'm leaving my dog. Honestly. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Josie. Well, we leave our dog for months. She goes to yeah. Will's parents. Just like, honestly, she's a dog. I know yeah. she's a dog. But I cry. It just yeah. breaks my heart. Because we, you have a life at home and you go on walks yeah. and you have your friends and yeah. stuff. And then you go, all right, I'm just about to release a record. So I'll see you guys in a year, yeah. pretty much. Well, it might be a thing where you only release... You, know, you release a record, you tour for a couple months, and that's it. Exactly. I think maybe that has to be it. But that's. But is there enough financial stuff coming in to make that possible? That's the scary thing. Big time. Yeah. And that's the unknown. And I think I'm at a crossroads in this. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, I'm talking about something that's like, you know, who knows if it will ever happen really, or even something that I want. But it's just um, when you start questioning yeah. your whole sort of existence in yeah. a way, um, it's really um difficult and also i think if i if i'm pursuing some sort of happiness mm-hmm. a lot of the time my happiness is looking back on things and going that was amazing but mm-hmm. the time yeah, yeah. is very different you know yeah, like yeah. some of my 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 greatest memories are on tour and it and it just being crazy and stuff but at the time i'm i'm exhausted yeah i'm utterly and utterly exhausted and i'm drained yeah. and it takes and i have that little voice in my head yeah that is saying you can do this. You know, you're resilient. Yeah. You can do this, Lucy. You can get on this plane 
now which is another 12 hours and you can land yeah. and you can go and perform and you can do this and you can it is possible yeah but it's just like yeah it's hard have pep talking yourself through life yeah. all the time yeah do you know what i mean yeah. it's like it'd be great if i didn't have to just pep talk myself yeah constantly that i was capable of getting through the day my mom always hard. my mom always jokes that like i've chosen a life that's basically like me throwing my high school birthday party dance like party every day of the week or something and hoping that enough people will come that it's fun or something yeah, exactly. because it was like we would people do this come. party every year and every year i'd be like no one's gonna come this is why are we doing this you know my mom be like, don't worry about it. Like, there'll be people come. I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's going to be a snowstorm and no one's going to come. And everyone would come. Enough people would come. It would be great. And then the next year it would start again and be like, why are, why are we even bothering doing Torment this? Torment yourself again. It was the same thing like literally on, on Sunday at this huge festival in Northern California. It's like we had a very early slot. It was like I was very like, what's the nice way of saying this? Uh, I felt disrespected. You know, you play a big festival, but you have a one o'clock slot. It feels like, well, who's going to even be there for that, you know? And it was raining. It was cold. I was like, there's so many things stacked against us here. They're paying us almost nothing, you know? And it was 5,000 people packed to see us, you know? And it was magical, you know? And they didn't care it was raining. You know, and there's people wearing your T-shirts, singing your songs, you know. Now, that doesn't happen a lot of times, but you're like, is the worrying worth it? Like, why? yeah, why can't we just maybe enjoy the process more? Because it's like the fact that we even got in this festival was a big deal. Yeah. You know, just be fucking grateful. And I'm. it's hard for me to be grateful when you feel like you only have limited chances to get your sort of art out there. You know. I think there's definitely a way of enjoying the pro- like the process a lot more if you could put all the worrying to one side. Yeah. And uh, and just see it in like this book is teaching you to see everything like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Like tomorrow just be like this is great. Yeah. I'm in LA and I'm going to play the hotel cafe and there's <laughs> going to be some people there. Yeah. And it's going to be it's going to be lovely. I get to play my songs and it's as simple as that and I think it's uh, simplifying the way you see everything mm-hmm. is a way to enjoy the process. But kind of we're not built and society's not built to see things like that because then you bump into your old school teacher who goes kind of in a pitiful way like, how's it all going? Or, <laughs> you know? Or Does you that, like, that happen to you? Yeah, it's like I went to a, went to a wedding last, last summer and it was like... Oh, you're still doing that One of then. my dad's friends was like, are you going to carry on with it, do you think? <laughs> it's like, I think so, yeah. But then it's like, oh, I don't know how to have this conversation. It's a very bleak British I don't, yeah, way of it saying. I don't know that. how to have a conversation with you when the question is, so do you think you'll carry on with it? <laughs> just so difficult. And then you just, and then it spirals, and yeah. then you go, oh my god. But yeah, again, it's just, you, and also you have your dream job, so you feel like I can't moan about anything. Yeah, I yeah. have no leg to stand on to moan about anything because right. I'm doing my dream job. But here. that's what people don't realize that the dream job is not too dreamy a lot of the time. But yeah, exactly. The, dr- the a dream lot of job sacrifice. is there's a lot of sacrifice, and um, so yeah. If you could throw your own music festival in the most beautiful place that you've ever been, wow. A, where would it be? In the five artists that you would book, dead or alive? Okay, hundred percent. This is never going to happen because you would never be allowed to do this. It's fine. Machu Picchu, go there. I'd throw it 
at Machu Picchu. Okay, live at Machu Picchu. Yeah, that's the best place, one of the best places I've ever been in my life. I've been trying to book that trip for years and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, you have I'm going to ask you There's always those sort of like stories later. like, oh, they're going to close it soon because it's yeah. getting all worn away. Yeah. 100%. So it is magical. It's like one of the most magical spiritual, for someone who says they don't believe in yeah. anything, really amazing Did you energy. do the long hike in or did you? No, train, yeah. train, train. No, yeah. we had, didn't have long. It was on this tour and a fan yeah. took me. I played in the in the town to get our... The fan took you there? The fan took me to Machu Picchu. Um, was wow. like, oh, you've got to, now you're in Lima, you've got to, we'll go to Cusco and if you play in this hostel, they'll let us stay for free. Yeah. So I played in the hostel, we've stayed for free. Um, so I'd go there. My wife is going to be so jealous if she hears about this. Well, you just got to go. You just have to make it happen. Um, and who would I book? I, I'm going to spend forever thinking about it. I mean, I would have Neil Young headline. Okay. Definitely. Um, did you say dead or alive? Yeah. Wow. Fine. Dead or alive? Yeah. Fine. Joni Mitchell obviously would play. Not that she's dead, but I don't know <laughs> if um, she'd want to do it. But she, I would. Vintage Joni. Yeah. Um, obviously Joni and Neil. Nick Drake. Okay. Um, Jeff Buckley. All right. Queen. It is funny. <laughs> is that a good decision? It is funny because I feel like obviously that movie I've is in huge. people's consciousness, but like, and obviously I love Queen as well. Mm-hmm. But I think like that is almost a common denominator among a lot of people who I've asked the same question. Like Queen Queen's is like one of the greatest. Is the bands. last choice always like, well, of course. Queen. Yeah, it would be outrageous not to have yeah. Queen if I could have anybody. That is one of the bands that I wish I could have seen. Yeah, if me I too. could like go back in a time machine, you know. And that movie's amazing. Like just once. Like, I'd just like to be in front of Freddie Mercury doing his thing. 100%. Well, they're one of the greatest bands ever. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the greatest songs ever written. Yeah. And it's insane. And if you're talking about bands breaking the mold, yeah, they're like the, the, the epiphany of it, really. Would you like to play us a song? Oh, yeah. You have your bass player outside, I think. Yeah, I'll go get Ben. All right, let's do it.
just this was easy But we felt like it should have been But I came for you I dreamt names for you It's true No one lets me down like you do craved you I lost sleep with you Who knew No one loves me quite like you do But no one lets me down like you do is your last chance to figure out that I came for you and I drew names for you it's true no one makes me high like you do and I craved you Big thanks to Lucy Rose for talking to me. Uh, you can go to LucyRoseMusic.com for her music and her tour dates. December 4th, she's got a big show in London at the Barbican Center. And January 19th, she'll be in Scotland and Glasgow at Celtic Connections. If she comes to the States, go out and see her. Her newest record is called No Words Left on Arts and Crafts. It is a slayer, everybody. You must listen to it. As I mentioned several times, I am in the United Kingdom right now. We'll be playing a few more shows here before coming home to California. We're playing in West Yorkshire and in Selby and in Settle, towns that I've never heard of, but I'm sure they're going to be great. Uh, then we come back to the States. We play a couple shows in Ohio and in upstate New York, so please look out for those. And we just are about to announce some brand new shows in California, in Chico and near Santa Cruz and in Morro Bay. So look out for that as well, dustbowlrevival.com. And if you want to know how you can really contribute to uh, keeping our music going, there's these really cool bundles that we just put up on our website where you can get limited edition violet vinyl of our new record and t-shirts and even drinks with the band. It helps fund some amazing upcoming adventures. And you know what, guys? I'll give you a high five if I see you in person. So there's that. Don't forget the other wonderful podcasts on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network, like The String and The Shift List. So many cool conversations on there. Check it out, bluegrasssituation.com. The Show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. 
If you love The Show on the Road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubitin. See you on the trail. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.